everyone. Before we get started, we wanted to let you know about our venue consulting. We have broken up our offerings into four distinct needs, design, sales and client experience, marketing, and those all-important SOPs. You can take advantage of one or all of these tricky spots for your venue. If you want to learn more and get a few more details, head on over to hustleandgather.com to see how we can work together and reach your venue goals. All right, let's get to today's show. Welcome to Hustle and Gather, a podcast about inspiring the everyday entrepreneur to take the leap. I'm Courtney. And I'm Dana. And we're two sisters who love business. On this show, we talk about the ups and downs of the hustle and the reward at the end of the journey. We know all of the challenges that come with starting a business. Between operating our wedding venue, doing speaking and consulting, and starting our luxury wedding planning company, we wake up and hustle every day. And today we're talking, just the two of us, about last week's episode with Courtney Bowman, owner of Raleigh Cheesy, a custom charcuterie board business in the Triangle. If you haven't heard last week's episode, go give it a listen and come back to hear our thoughts. All right, Dana, let's get started. Yeah, I loved that interview with Courtney. So good. I just love her story. And we've actually been following her story for quite a while because she was a bride at the Bradford. Yeah. That soup story genuinely is true. Like I spent one day, I just like could not stop laughing at her Instagram story. So we're so excited to see her climb to fame of sorts in Instagram world. It's kind of crazy too. Which always baffles me because like we have not figured out that secret sauce. Like I don't understand it. I don't know what it is. I mean, I'm not saying we do bad on Instagram, like kudos, shout out to Sarah, but it's never been like that. Like we're like she's gone from zero yeah. followers from Raleigh Cheesy to like what, like fifteen thousand or something like that, in like a year. Right, but it, but I think and it goes back to like one of my favorite things she said was about running your business with vulnerability, essentially. Mm-hmm. And I feel like for her, she has found success in being authentic and vulnerable online. And that has that has been part of the success of her business. And for us, like we just we don't <laughs> do that. And it's not like because we don't want to, but I just don't have a propensity to be like, I had this really great moment with my kid. Let me snap a picture and put it on Instagram. Like that's I just I maybe snap a picture, but I just say Or it. like today's going really shitty. <laughs> Let me tell you yeah, about it. Like I I know. And I think that's something like we've, I know I've been trying to be a little bit better about, like to be a little bit more like, it really got me thinking about it. Cause I feel like if you would have asked me in 2018, 2019, can you be vulnerable and run a business? My answer would be no. Like, not that you could be successful, but like, I just wouldn't recommend it. But going through 2020, I think what has saved us is our vulnerability is like with our clients, it's not just this is the policy, it's, this is the policy because and being transparent and true to ourselves. And like, it's not about the bottom line or whatever, but this is like how I eat dinner. This is how I pay my bills. Like, this is not me trying to be an asshole. This is me trying to save a business and save my employees' livelihoods. Like it's, it's not just me, you know? And so being vulnerable with them, I think has really helped us navigate the pandemic and so now I'm like, is this how you should be operating business all the time? I don't know. I mean, it's strange because like the story that I told about, you know, like the sipping bitch or whatnot, like I'm not saying that was a moment of vulnerability. It was certainly like a fun project that we had a lot of passion about and we were excited to share with our largest platform, which at the time was the Bradford. And mm-hmm. that seemed to be like shot down, right? 
Like, no, 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 Mm -hmm. that's not your brand. Your brand is not vulnerable. Your brand is perfect, pristine, Southern classiness. It's interesting to have someone that's like a watcher or viewer or whatever feel like they have say into what your brand is. And I felt like that was very on brand at that moment because that was us. And the Bradford's always been us, you know? Yeah, to an extent, though. I mean, I feel like if if this was maybe 2014 or 15, 100%, but, like, we haven't been, like, the face of the Bradford. I think people used to think that Sarah and Maggie owned the Bradford. Like, they had no idea that we were, like, the people that owned it. I would have been fine with that in 2020. But Sarah, want the Bradford? I know, but it's just because we're not present. We're not there. So it's there. there is some accuracy in going through that, you know, where the Bradford is not the platform for us to be vulnerable. It's just not. Like Hustle and Gather 100% is. My right. personal thing 100% is. But in terms of like seeing the events in the Bradford, I don't think our clients want us to be authentic and vulnerable because they, they want us to be who they expect us to be, which is professional, put together, can create beautiful events, which is what we do and who we are, but they don't want to see the other side of us, you know? Yeah, but I mean, that's, I mean, obviously, but charcuterie, that's very similar. Like they want the pretty pictures of cheese and to be inspired and, you know, to look at the food porn and all that. You know what I mean? Like, that's what it is in a lot of ways, but she's kind of made it something more. What I love about Courtney and when I watch on her Instagram is that she is not afraid. Like she has so much confidence in like the product mm-hmm. that she's putting out that she's not afraid to show people how to do it themselves, right? Like I love that aspect of her Instagram is that education. Like here's my favorite cheese. Here's where you get it. Here's where it co- what it costs. Here's what this would cost to put together. Let me show you how to do it. And yet she doesn't have any fear about that like taking away from her business, which I think is kind of amazing. It's like you're making competitors out there every day. Right. But I I guess she shares so much of like the behind the scenes of owning a business. Like I'm sure there's someone that's like, they're like, okay, I can make beautiful boards, but I don't want to be what, I don't want to do what Courtney's Mm -hmm. doing, you know, like (laughs) that seems a little too stressful, not interested. (laughs) Um, I think especially dealing with like the scandal of like an, like the aftermath of a scandal. Like I just, I really appreciated her attitude of feel the emotion, cry about it, move on, apologize, learn, move on. Like, and that's all we can do. And I think, I feel like too, like in like the world, like people want you to dwell. Like they want it to come up again. Like they want to mention again, well, like, oh, you're great, but do you remember, (laughs) you know? And she's like, no, like move on. Yeah. I love that actually. Like that's like totally great advice because I do think people, yeah tend to dwell and I mean I know I do like if I feel like a client yeah prior to 2020 if I felt like a client was upset or like they were dissatisfied in some way like it just ate me up for days mm-hmm. and then no I mean just feel the emotion angry sad whatever and move on to the next thing and I loved how she uses that like as a superpower right that authenticity like hey like I'm dealing with it and this is how I'm moving on and you should move on with me yeah it's so hard though. I mean, like we've we've dealt with some scandals. I don't think like publicized ones, but things like within like whether it's like a really bad review, like we've had I think two this past year um that were from weddings from pre-pandemic and they were like pretty horrible reviews and they and they weren't true. Like it was a lot of the one of them was just pure slander, honestly, and it was just the it's a whole another podcast story about that issue, <laughs> but um it's hard to move on. It's mm-hmm. hard to just and I 
I did not move. I think it ruined my entire weekend. And then the following week and then the following month because I was so mad about yeah. it. Like I was so upset that this person was calling my my character into question when I know that like what I did was 100% right. Like I don't – I could still sleep at night knowing that I wasn't like the person she was characterizing me as being. But I couldn't sleep at night because someone thought that about me. And I said this all the time. It's like – my biggest fear of the judgment that comes crashing down on you whenever you put yourself out there and you're vulnerable. Like, can I handle it? Like, would I be able to move on? Well, and I think too, I think that's one of the reasons that people aren't vulnerable. I think it's one of those things that we've, we've talked about often, like just that imposter syndrome feeling. And I think that this past year has made that go away slightly, but at the same time, so I am, I am the president of NACE. I have to send out this monthly newsletter. And every month I'm like, oh, like, what do I say? Do I say what I really think? Mm-mm. Which this totally effing sucks. Like, this just sucks. I'm sorry. End all. Like, end. <laughs> Period. You're president. Or do I try to be hopeful? Do I try to be real? And 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 it, and it varies between the month. Like, some months it is like, you know, this month was hard. Like, I didn't like it. I didn't like the year. I'm a pessimist. It just turned me into this pessimist. And I try to end on a positive note. And some months it's super peppy and happy and whatever. And and it's really going through like what I'm feeling at that moment. But, you know, sending it out to the masses. I mean, you're talking about thousands of people are reading this news. Oh, they're probably not reading it. It goes to their inbox. They probably delete it. But <laughs> thousands of people are getting this Have access newsletter. to this letter. Yes. And it's stressful. It's stressful to like, am I going to, did I say something wrong? Did I, did I possibly offend somebody inadvertently? Um, Is it going to land the way I wanted it to land? And it doesn't stop me from doing it. But, and I think that's actually made me more vulnerable, more able to get on social media and say what I'm thinking because I'm like, well, at the end of the day, I feel like people who know me know me and they know my heart and who I am. And if I do something that offends somebody, I'm going to say sorry, and I'm going to mean it, and I'm going to try not to ever do it again, and we're going to move on. But yeah, it's a hard skill, I think, to have to like trust yourself to be able to put something like that out there. Yeah. Commend her. Kudos to her. I think it's amazing. Kudos to Courtney. What a great name, by the way. Can we talk about that? <laughs> I don't know if she was the, the same great name of Courtney. Courtney that I was. Like, I loved my name growing up. I named all of my Barbies Courtney. All of them. Oh, they I were hated Courtney. My name. Really? Dana? Yeah, I hated it. It was so like, I don't know, like boring. It was four letters. Who have you ever tried to write a cursive D? It freaking sucks. It looks like <laughs> a pregnant person with this weird curly Q. It's like the ugliest letter to write in cursive. I hated it. I feel like no one's given a cursive D this much thought. Uh, I, I mean, you know, whatever. <laughs> well, I didn't feel that way. I went. I mean, I was like Courtney. Clearly, I mean, I got the. The, the jackpot of names. All Barbies are named Courtney. All babies are named Courtney. I wonder if other Courtney mm-hmm. had the same feeling about the name. We'll have to ask her. We'll have yeah. to ask her. Yeah. Yes. So one thing I also really loved was her comment about knowing when to let something go, which I feel like, and even her statement saying like, you know, when you have this great idea, you put it out into the universe and you're just not getting it back and being being okay with saying either to pivot and try something different or maybe you need to adjust or change or you just need to let it go. I think that for me, 
as an Enneagram eight, that is so hard to do because in my mind, I don't understand why the hell nobody else wants to buy this product because I thought of it and I have <laughs> thought through it and them? it is amazing. And what is wrong with them? And I, maybe I'm just, maybe I just don't get the algorithm. Like that's the problem. It's not what I'm doing. It's how I'm marketing it or it's how I'm putting it out there. Or like it's not pretty enough or, or whatever the case may be. I, there's no way in my mind I would think like, oh, it's because it's a bad idea because I guess not because I think highly of myself, but because I think highly of my ideas. I don't know. But I love that, that just that freedom to say, doesn't mean you're bad at what you do. Well, I think for sure we don't get the algorithm. So probably that's just a given, like no matter what it is. But, and not to be all, I don't know, existential. But sometimes you just have to let things go. And you have to go through that process of like grieving it, being sad about it. I'm sorry that didn't work out. Being in denial, going through all of those things. I mean, we went through that with Bushel and Peck, you know, like we were like, all right, it's time to let it go. Oh, is it time to let it go? Should we hire somebody else? Should we do this? Like, but we're getting the numbers that we want for weddings and that seems like a bad time, but then it seemed like a fine time as well, you know? And like going through that process of grieving allows you to be open to try something new because you've like put Mm -hmm. it to bed and put it to rest and it's over. But I think that that's hard. I think, I think there's a lot of denial Maybe that stage is the longest. Well, I just think entrepreneurship is so personal. It's not yeah. like saying for so for us we were teachers, right? I mm-hmm. very easily could let that go. And I could let that go to bed and it did not take long for me to come to that conclusion. It did not take long for me to move on. You know, because I did it every it, Friday it was, for like seven years. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just it wasn't personal. And I feel like when it's something that you've put your energy, your soul, your heart into, uh, blood, sweat, and tears, whatever it is, like it's hard to let that go. And it's hard to say this isn't working. And maybe you have to go back to being a teacher to make ends meet, or maybe you have to completely pivot and readjust. And, you know, it's just sometimes it is a hard pill to swallow. But I think there's also freedom in knowing that doesn't mean you're you're a bad entrepreneur. It doesn't mean that you can't hack it. It just means maybe you need to rethink it. But I, I think the thing that too, just to kind of like what I love about her story is because it does mimic so much of ours and like being a teacher and having this side hustle and then at mm-hmm. some point saying, this is it. Let's quit teaching. Let's do this. You know, let's do this thing because teaching is hard. And for me, like I love the classroom. Like I actually loved the teaching, the kids, like doing the activities with them and like interacting with them. Like there were certainly hard classes, but for the most part, they were like super funny and really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. But it was the politics and hearing her talk about how her supervisor called her out. Like that is how I felt. Like I, the, the year before I went from a high school to a middle school, and I was giving this, uh, the EOC, the end of year exam, end of course exam, sorry. For some reason, they have this fear that teachers are going to cheat on this exam. So it's like they have tests A through F, different numbers, different colors. So there's like multiple different kinds of tests. Like of this, it's the same content, but the questions are all scrambled or whatever. And you have to code each person's like Scantron. And you just have to code it like this is a normal kid. This kid has, you know, ES as uh, ESL. This kid has uh, extra time. Just all random things, right? So, and you can't code it by yourself. You have to be in a room with, I think, at least two other teachers to do it. It was two. And it was like a, 
Two, okay, yeah. so I had to be in group of three. And I had coded all of my Scantrons at the time. Well, when the test came in, there was like 10 that weren't in my original Scantron back, batch. They came with the test. And so I was like, well, I have to code these stupid things. And so I just like was sitting watching the kids. They would turn in and I would code the thing and put it in the pile. Well, it just happened to be a year we got audited by the state board of education. So this person saw me coding this thing without three people. So I got in trouble about it. I got called into the principal's office. I had told that I, you know, put the test in jeopardy. And I was like, what, what do you think I did? Like, do you think that I memorized these 20 different versions of this test? And I saw that like, oh, he had F2. Therefore, I'm going to change this one answer on the test. Like, it's like the most ludicrous thing I've ever heard. Like, what do you think I'm doing? And why do you think I even care that much to change this kid's, like, grade on this EOC that I think is BS anyways? Like, it was so infuriating. And I was like, I'm done. Like, I just can't. Like, I was like, I, this is my, uh, I'm done after this year, going to another school. Like, if I can't be appreciated for, like, all this crap that I've done, I just don't want to be here. And I left in slightly a dramatic fashion. Probably incorrectly. <laughs> the funny thing is that that principal was actually my principal at my middle school that I taught at. And I had not a testing situation, but a similar experience where he came in, did an impromptu observation on my class and just gave me this like blistering review. Like it was just horrible. And he calls me in and we're like going over the observation and says everything. And he's like, was there anything that you'd like to add? And I was like, oh, I guess I'm just going to put in my resignation. He was like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, based on this review, like I'm unfit to teach the children. So I don't want to do any disservices to the kids or to the school. So I'm just going to quit and find something else. So he's like, no, you're a great teacher. I'm like, no, no, no. According to this, I'm not a great teacher. He's like, well, that's not what I meant. Well, I was like, if it's not what you meant, then don't write that down. If you'd like to come back to my class now and do another observation, more power to you. I was like, but if this is what you mean, then I'll just find another job. He came to my class, followed me to my class right after that, did another observation, had nothing but glowing reviews for the rest of the year. I was like, if you didn't mean that, why'd you put it down? Like, if I'm a terrible yeah. teacher, then you shouldn't want me here. But if I, like, have mm -hmm. promise or you see some, like, problem, then point it out. But, like, this is, like, unacceptable, you know? He was probably thinking, oh, my God, these girls. He did. Literally. Well, the first time he <laughs> met me, he, like, gave me a double take. He's like, what? And I was like... I, you, my sister, Courtney Hopper was at your school. He goes, oh, all right. Oh yeah. That <laughs> I'm one. sure, I'm sure it was numbered at that moment anyways, but <laughs> yeah, no, but I, I think more importantly, and I think to like, to be fair that after year one of teaching, I knew it was not my passion. I knew I had made a slight misstep in my life, but I was in a place where my husband was going back to school. It made the most financial sense, oddly enough, for me to be a teacher. And, you know, we stuck with it. And my husband graduated and was able to get a full-time job. And C&D was able to kind of go get on its own legs is when I was able to quit. But, you know, I think when your heart isn't in what you do, it's like it is easy to let it go and say, like, okay, this is what I really want to do. Mm -hmm. Like, this is the dream and the passion of where I want to go with my life. Well, I love that. Do you have yeah. any, like, funny teaching story that you want to end on, like, with some levity here? Me personally? You personally? 
Oh, other than the fact that I taught The Bachelor. Oh, yes, you Matt did. James. I did. He was in my chemistry class at Sanderson High School. He had a very big afro. He was a very kind kid, like just the sweetest kid. He was in a really rough chemistry class, I remember. He was just – I can't remember if it was – I think he might have been a regular chem. But um, he always sat at the lab tables. He never sat in a desk. I don't know why. He was a great kid, and it's been really weird watching him on The Bachelor. It's just super strange because, like, he's exactly the same, actually, from when he was in high school. Yeah, um, Scotty McCreary went to our mm. school. He wasn't on my tra- on my grade, but he was uh, he was on my hall when I was track one. He was on track four, but he was mm. a student at our school. And all the books say Scotty McCreary because we I was year round, so we would track into like different pods. Right. And there was always right. a pod that had Scotty McCreary's textbooks in there. Interesting. It's enough. weird though. Like I've done weddings of old students. Oh yeah, I who have contact me, and they're like they're like Miss Cadwell, and I was like, please call me Dana. Like that's just weird. They're like I can't, I can't call you Dana. Like I have to call you Miss Cadwell because that is just how I know you. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, we had a wedding <laughs> of a former student at the Bradford, and we had a dance with your science teacher dance, and there was four kids who I taught that I was their seventh grade science teacher. That's funny. At the wedding. <laughs> yep. Oh, awesome. Thanks, everyone, for gathering with us today to talk about the hustle. To learn more about Raleigh Cheesy, visit RaleighCheesy.com. Follow them on Instagram at Raleigh Cheesy or visit their storefront in Apex. To learn more about our hustles, visit CNDEvents.com, thebradfordnc.com and hustleandgather.com or follow us on Instagram at CND events at the Bradford NC and at hustle and gather. And if you like this show, be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating and a review. This podcast is a production of Earfluence. I'm Courtney and I'm Dana and we'll talk to you next time on hustle and gather.